All right. Is this mic on? Is this mic on? What comes next? Grip it like a... Never mind. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I forget that I'm like two generations older than you. Um, Philippians, that's the book we're in. You can turn there um, in your Bibles. We're going to be in chapter 1. That's where we're going to get started. Philippians chapter 1. And um, if you're new, if it's your first time, we have been spending the last two and a half years going through the Bible cover to cover. And we are going to finish that task by the end of 2020. And so that's exciting. We're all the way into the epistles now. And uh, we're jumping into it. So we're going to go through the whole book of Philippians tonight. How many of you are ready for it? Amen. All right. Just like Adam said last week, you can read this book super short, but I think he said that um, you could read, what book did you preach? Uh, Galatians in 15 minutes. You can read this in 12 for sure. Easy. We're going to read half of it tonight just by accident. So that's going to be awesome. So let me know when you're in Philippians chapter one. If you're there, say I'm there. If you're not there yet, say wait. Okay. I'm waiting. I'm patient. I am patient. Hopefully you got notes. Everyone got notes. Everyone got a pen? Ready to, ready to roll through this? Philippians is an awesome book in the Bible. While you're turning there, I'm going to give you some intro to this book. And then we're actually going to just kind of breeze through the entire book and pull out as much uh, that we can from Paul's heart here. And it's important because Paul is writing to the churches in Philippi. And uh, it's been said that this is his warmest letter that he wrote to any of the churches. It's his warmest letter. How many of you would rather receive like a warm letter from a friend than a cold one from an enemy? Yeah, heart-wise, like a heart check. Um, so this is like his warmest letter. He actually loves these people. <laughs> these are his friends. These are his co-laborers. And he's sending a letter back, and, and it, just to make it even warmer, um, he's sending a letter back with Epaphrodites. And Epaphrodites is, is a, sounds like a mythical like Greek god or something, but Epaphrodites is a man who came from the churches in Philippi and he brought um, some financial provision and maybe even some, some uh, uh, sustenance of some sort. We don't know exactly what he brought, but he definitely brought a great gift to serve Paul. And on his journey, he almost died doing it. He almost laid down his life just to help his friend Paul. And then he finally gets better. It's taken a long time, but he finally gets better. And Paul goes, you know what? I'm going to send a letter back with you um, to these churches uh, just because I love them. I miss them. He's in prison, um, as you probably know. Um, but this is a letter from a good pastor to good friends. A letter from good, a good pastor to his good friends. And it's a thank you letter, as well as some encouragement. And, and we're going to start right into it in chapter 1, verse 3. And uh, we're, we're just going to roll through this. So keep your finger there as we pick and choose a few verses to get through the, the whole scope of this book. In verse 3, it says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is a good pastor writing to good friends. I thank 
the Lord often for you. I always remember you in my prayers. I'm thinking of you. I love you. This letter is for you. And I believe that what God is doing in you and through you will be carried out till the end because I've seen it. He says, I've seen it since day one from the beginning until now you are still faithful. He's just encouraging them and getting them excited. This is a good pastor writing to good friends. And then he goes on to tell them of his sufferings because it's clear that some sort of message was brought with Epaphroditus and, 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 and he, they want to know of his sufferings as he's in prison. And he, he's even going to encourage them there. And he says this, and, and sometimes this is shocking for us, but he's in prison and, and uh, this type of prison was no joke. As we'll see later in the letter, he even fears that he may die. And, uh, and so they're wondering about his health, and he goes on to tell them that, that this is actually a great benefit. This is a good thing, being in prison for Jesus. And, and so look real quick at verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, and to all the rest, my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So they're like, how are you? And he doesn't even answer the question. He's like, this is a good thing. God is doing something awesome. The guards are hearing about Christ. Those who knew Christ before are getting encouraged and and they're getting bolder to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is awesome. And and, and then he he goes on and, and he has this, this threat of, of dying, and he shares that he can't even really decide if it would be better to die in prison so that way he could go and be with, in, with Jesus, or if it would be better to live so that way he could keep serving Jesus and keep serving churches like the churches in Philippi. Look at verse 21 real quick. I'll slow down eventually, but right now let's just get through this quick. He says this in verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So, so he, he's like, I can't even decide if it would be better right now to die and just be with Jesus. Or if really I should stay and keep serving you. And, and he goes on to say that he really needs to stay. They, they, they really need him. They need his help. They need his leadership. And then he gets into the heart of the matter. And this is where we're going to start taking notes. He gets into the heart of the matter. Kind of the, the pleasantries are out of the way. You're like, pleasantries? He just talked about dying. Yeah, those are pleasantries for Paul. Um, so, so the pleasantries are out of the way. And he gets into the heart uh, of where we're going in chapter 2. And, and he challenges them to live like Jesus lived. And that's really the heart of Philippians, is to live like Jesus lives. And and I want to ask you something, because he's going to really press on them and say, hey, really do it. Don't just say you're a a Christian. Don't, Don't just say you go to church, but really live like it. Don't just be a Christian in private, but be a Christian in public. Don't just be a Christian in your heart, but be a Christian with your hands. Be a Christian with your eyes. Be a Christian with how you approach the world around you. Really do it. And the question I want to ask you just personally, because I, I, I do this, I like to do this, is have you ever thought of your life as a story? Have you, have you ever thought of your life as a story? Not just that you're a person who's kind of taking it day by day and hoping you get to the end, but really someone who's writing the story of their life. 
Yeah, like, like you actually have control over your actions. You actually can put some plans in place. You can actually not just wake up the next day without knowing what to do, but you can actually kind of write your story and live it out for people to see. And it's, I think it's a challenge for, for us and, and something to even think about. I, I know of a guy who even wrote the last chapter. He physically wrote out the last chapter of his life. He wrote his eulogy and everything. And he reads it every single day. This is how he wants his story to end. And to get there, he has to live a really good story. I, I think God wants you and I and, and all his people to live a really good story. To live an excellent story. And, and, and an excellent story is not a story that, that we actually decide for ourselves. A story where we pick a hero and, and chase after it like, a, like an athlete or, or someone famous or, or a politician or a, 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 a big time thinker or something like that. We don't get to just pick our hero, but there is only one hero and his name is Jesus. Right. And so you can put this on your notes that Jesus lived the best story. Jesus lived the best story. So when you're looking at your life, like I just challenged you to do, and you're considering, well, what should my story be about? If, I, if I'm living out my story, it's so funny, people will often ask, like, if you were in a movie, uh, uh, there was a movie about your life, what actor should play you? And it's like, the question, if we're just, you know, not to be picky, it's a cool question. But if, if we're talking about being a Christian, really, the, the story is all about Jesus, and you're the character reflecting that to the world around you. And, and, and so that's who we're supposed to reflect. And that's where Paul's getting in Philippians. He's saying that Jesus lived the best story. And you and I, we need to live like Jesus. Our stories need to be what people see as a reflection of Jesus. As, as someone who's living out how Jesus would have us live. We are to be like Jesus. We should strive to live out a story in a way that reflects the story of Jesus. Our lives should reflect him. Our heart should care for what Jesus cared for. And, and, and he goes to break it down like this in, in chapter 2, verse 1. I'll, I'll let him tell, I'll tell the story. He says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love and participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and in one Mind, do nothing from selfish, selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So, so Paul's, remember, encouraging his good friends. He's a good pastor encouraging his good friends. And he's saying, live out a better story. Live like Jesus lived. Love one another. Have, have some unity. Have a, have a, have a focused mindset that, that all of us are just looking to Jesus. All of us are just trying to live our life to honor Jesus, to bring glory to Jesus. All of us are just living to reflect Him. Have, have some unity in your mindset that there's not a bunch of separate goals in a church, but there's one goal, and His name is Jesus. Have some unity there. Think of others more significant than yourself. That's crazy. Think of others as more significant than yourself. Look out for one another. Look beyond your own interests. Look beyond your own interests. See, Jesus lived the best story. And if we are to live a better story because we know Jesus, it needs to look like his. And, and so I wanted to give you a few things that Paul points out 
that our story needs to be a better story, to be the best story that you can live. And here's what they are. You can start to fill these in. Our story needs to be a story where love unites us. Our story, if we're going to live a story like Jesus, if we're going to live a better story, remember the best story is already taken. You're never, you're, you're, you will never be the best story, but you can be a better story because you look at Jesus. If we're going to live a better story, then love must unite us. He talks about that in verse 2. He, he, the, the same mind and the same love, a love that flows from a love for Jesus. We, we say here all the time that, that we are so loved to show love. That Jesus has loved us in such an amazing way that we, we have to then love others in that same way. We, we have to live that story. We have to live the story where love unites us. We have to live a story like Jesus where, where love is unconditional. Where love isn't a list of, if you do this, then I will love you. If you keep doing this, then I'll keep loving you. And if you ever stop doing this, then I'll stop loving you. That's not the love that Jesus shows us. He shows us a love that is unconditional. He he shows us that, that love is not cowardly. Right now, not only do we live in a world where relationships, whether we're talking about a significant other, like in a marriage, or we're talking about friendships, or we're just talking about interactions on social media or whatever, we live in a world where love is conditional, and at the same time, because love is conditional, we live in a world where love is full of cowards. Because they're so scared that they're going to violate the conditions by saying the wrong thing. They're so scared, and maybe you're scared, that you'll lose a friend, you'll lose a status, you'll lose some dignity, you'll lose something if you say it wrong. And Jesus shows us that love is not cowardly. You cannot be a coward and love well because love takes some boldness. Not only that, but Jesus shows us a love that never ends. So now we have a love that is not conditional. We have a love that, that, that leaves no room for the coward. And we we have a love that never ends. And that's the way we live a better story, with a love that unites us. He goes on to talk about humility. You can write this down. Um, If if we need a story where humility is the vision, where humility is the vision, it's the goal. When, When you look at your day, consider how can I be more humble? How can I be more humble? And here's the idea he's getting at here. Paul's saying it's not a you versus me mentality. It's not a you versus me. Adam talked about this a few weeks ago. There's enough to go around. It's not you versus me. It's you before me. Because it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. So humility has to be the vision. And right now, when you start thinking about your life, and I don't want to to hurt anyone's feelings, but when you, if you've ever sat down to think about like, what you want to do, where you want to go to school, uh, what career you want to have, who you want to be with forever, all these things, how many kids you want, how many of those goals and dreams are centered around humility? Almost none of them, or at least for me. Right? But humility is the vision. Jesus comes, and Paul's going to talk about this in a beautiful way, but he empties himself. That's our example of humility, that humility is the vision for life. So not only, for for our stories to be a better story, not only does love need to unite us and humility be the vision, but selflessness is the competition. Selflessness is, selflessness, tough, there's a lot of S's in there. Selflessness is the competition. If you're like, I don't know how to spell it, just put an S wherever you're confused, you're probably right. Selflessness is the competition. So we suffer 
to serve. We suffer to serve like Jesus, like Paul, like Timothy, like Epaphroditus. We suffer to serve because selflessness is the competition. We live in a world where it's all about you and you have to look out for you. You have to protect you. You have to protect your own interests. You have to think about you, make you number one, make your people number one, your tribe number one, your color number one, your flag number one. And Jesus comes in and he gives us a totally different example of the competition. It's selflessness. You look for others' interests first. It's, it's outdoing one another and showing honor. It's, a, it's an honor competition. How can I love you? Like, like I'm, I'm a super competitive person, so this helps me to think of it like this. I know it's probably weird for most of you. But for me, it's like, man, how can I win the competition of being selfless today? And for me, that motivates me. Like, maybe it's not the perfect motives behind my heart, but it, it'll work for now. Like, I'm going to beat you at showing honor. I'm going to destroy you at being selfless today. Try me. Like, like that's how I get it in my heart. Like, I need to put you first. And when I have that in my heart, I actually do better because I outdo other people at showing honor. I actually put others first. So that story is a story of a person living for others. And, and when you think about, like, the greatest stories that you've ever read, not just in the Bible, but just good stories or good movies or when you think about them, stories that are all about a single person living for themselves and actually achieving it suck. That's right. But stories about sacrifice, stories about selflessness, stories about someone laying down their life for a friend, stories about putting their own interests aside and looking to the interests of others, those are the stories we can watch and read again and again and again. And you and I are called to live a better story. And there's no way the best story you can live is about you. It has to be about Jesus and others. If you do that, your story will be far better because the best story ever lived was about Jesus, the Son of God, taking on flesh, emptying himself, and living completely for everyone else. That's a better story. And it's a story you can actually live. You can actually work on this. He actually... Um, um, goes on and he gives a, a, a few more lists. We're going to skip to verse 12. We're going to continue our list, but I want you to hear it from the Bible before you hear it from me. It, it says this in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so, so that in the day of Christ I may be poured out, I may, sorry, that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I want to continue this list. If we're going to live a better story, then obedience needs to be normal. Those who are living a better story are actually the obedient ones. They're actually the ones following the rules. And here's what's crazy. When the rules come from the word of God, then you're actually a rebel in society. Because no one is following these rules. 
So if, if God's word is actually what's, what's telling you the standard, telling you the rules, then your obedience will look radical. Your obedience will look totally different. And, and so we submit to Jesus. Well, we submit to Jesus. Jesus weighs over our own ways. Jesus rules over our wants. Je- Jesus' word over any other. We submit to Jesus. If we're going to live a better story, then we need to be obedient to Jesus because he lived the best story. We're just ex- following the example. That- that's all we're doing. He lived the best story. I want to have a really good story. I'm going to live like him. I'm going to do what he says. If he tells me to do this, I'm going to do it. If his word says it, I'm going to live it out. Obedience needs to be normal. That's right. And Paul encourages them. He's like, you've been obedient all the way. Keep being obedient even though I'm in prison. Don't stop now. Keep going. He then says this. Persistence. He doesn't say this. I say this. Persistence is the purpose. You can write that down. Persistence is the purpose. So many people are like, I don't know what, what the will for my life is. I don't know what my purpose is. He talks about it like this, to work out your salvation, that God who begun a work in you will be faithful to complete it, that you have to put your salvation to work. Salvation is not a one and done event. It's a daily example of following Jesus. So your purpose isn't to be perfect. Your, your, your purpose is just to be persistent. You just keep pursuing Jesus. You just keep running after, after him. It's not about perfection and having it all together and, and being the perfect example. It's simply about persisting after the goal. And the goal is a better story. The goal is living like Jesus lived. So, so your purpose in life is just to persist. Just keep going. Just keep doing. You can almost think through this list that Paul's laying out for us, that, that we need to be obedient. We need to be selfless. We need to be humble. We need to, to pursue love. I need to be persistent in those things. And if I persist in those things, even if I screw up, even if I, there's times where I, I'm arrogant and I'm not humble, there, there's, there's times where I'm, I'm all about me and I'm not about others, even if that happens, and it will happen, your persistence is your purpose, and so you keep running after it, and at the end, you will live a better story. That's right. he, uh, the next blank you can fill in is God's word is the anchor. God's word is the anchor. If, if life was uh, the ocean, um, if, if life was an ocean, the Bible would be our anchor. That's kind of the idea there. I, I should have come up with something better, but I'm not that smart. Um, God's word is what we hold on to. God's word is what we hold on to. In a world where truth is hard to find, we hold fast to the truth. I don't know if you've heard this, like, but in like every other point, the answer is looking to God's word. That's right. so, so this is the truth. In a world where truth is hard to find, we hold fast to truth. In a world where definitions of what it means to be a, a, a godly man or woman are absent, we look to the word of God. So when, when I was in high school and middle school and, and and a young adult, I was looking for examples. Like, like, I just need to be like that person and that person and that person. But, but have you ever heard the phrase, never meet your heroes? That's right. When you meet your heroes, you find out they're pretty human. When, we, when you meet your heroes, you find out they're not that great. When you meet your heroes, you find out that you might actually be better than them. They're just lucky. And so if, you, if you're always picking people to, to emulate, you're always picking people to live like them, and it's not always wrong. Like sometimes you just need to find a godly man or, or woman and be like, okay, help me, teach me, I want to be like you. But so often we get distracted and we have God's word in the absence of godly examples, in the absence of a world that, that, that's telling us truth, we have God's word and his word has to be our anchor. This is where we get it. 
Lastly, you can put this in, joy is contagious. He goes on to say this, that joy is contagious. And, and he says, I'm rejoicing. You need to rejoice with me. If you're not rejoicing, start rejoicing. You're gonna hear, if you were to read this in 12 minutes this week, you're going to hear the word rejoice so many times. We, we rejoice, and rejoicing is contagious. And, and, and you might be like, well, it's all bad. Like, this is 2020. Paul wrote this in, in much better times. And said, well, not really. But anyway, um, Paul wrote this in better times. He doesn't know how bad it is. And, and I'm just here to tell you, Jesus is king. Rejoice. That's right. Jesus is king. And, and you might think, well, Paul, Paul you're in prison. That's terrible. And, uh, and, and he flipped it on us in chapter 1. He said, isn't it awesome? Isn't it how good God is showing up right now because I'm in prison? People are getting saved. And the, the, the guards are churning. You're in prison and it's awesome. Rejoice with Paul. He's saying, rejoice with me. I'm rejoicing with you. And Paul to, to Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus is dying. He's dying. He, he's on a mission just to deliver a gift. And on that mission, he starts to die. And... and, and, and Paul gives this idea, rejoice that he's willing to die. And you're like, what kind of, like, what do you mean? Like, rejoice, rejoice always, rejoice with me, I'm rejoicing with you, rejoicing is contagious, be like Epaphroditus. Paul, Paul and, and we'll get to this, but there's these ladies that are fighting in church, like, weird, um, ladies fighting in church, and he says, just rejoice, they belong to Jesus. And, and you might say, well, for us, well, my country is more divided than ever. Rejoice that your citizenship is in heaven. That's right. right? Like, like we, we, we just rejoice. Well, well, Paul, I'm tired of the quarantine life. Rejoice that you know the author of life. Right? Like, like there's so many things to, to just rejoice in. Rejoice and rejoice and rejoice. And as this happens, and, and, and hear this, if you weren't connecting, as you rejoice and rejoice and rejoice, you find reasons to, for joy. Watch as your own worries fade into faith. As you rejoice, watch your worries fade to faith. As you rejoice, watch your concerns turn into confidence. As you rejoice, watch your anxiety turn into assurances. There's something about rejoicing in who God is and what God is doing that fills us with hope. There's something about getting a proper perspective that Jesus is still on his throne. That Jesus loves me. That Jesus is, 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 is seeing us through this. And so we rejoice. And, and our joy will be contagious. Our joy will be contagious. And then Paul kind of wraps his book up. And he gives the list. And then he's like, here's some examples to look at. Here's some examples to look at. Good and bad, but here's some examples to look at. He says, these are people living a better story because of Jesus, and this is what we should look like or not look like. And the first thing he points to is Jesus. And, and I want to read this because this is beautiful. In chapter 2, we skipped it, verse 6. He kind of surrounds that list with this poem or this hymn, this worship song. I don't know if he wrote it or what, but um, I don't know why. I don't think of Paul as a very musical guy. But uh, anyway, there's a, there's a hymn, poem, song here, whatever you want to call it, and it's all about Jesus. And he, he kind of centers that list I just gave you around Jesus. And, and in chapter 2, verse 6 through 11, this is just like a short poem. He, he says that, and you're like, it doesn't rhyme at all. Like, uh, Greek stuff. Okay. Um, <laughs> Have this in mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is our example. Jesus' obedience, his humility, his, his putting others first, his, his selflessness, his persistence, his, his being literally the word of God, his, his joy. He is our example to look at. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, look at Timothy. He just gives these examples. Look at Timothy in, in chapter 2, verse 19. We're going to take a look at Timothy. And he says, look at Timothy. This is Timothy's stories. He, he, he wants to send Timothy to them because Timothy is others-focused. Here's what's crazy. When you're others-focused, when you're humble, when you're selfless, more people want to be around you. It's amazing. The, the, Paul's in prison, and he wants Timothy around him, and so Timothy's there comforting him, and Paul's realizing the church could use someone who's others-focused, and he's like, hey, I want to send Timothy to you. He will serve you well, but, but check it out in, in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him. That's how rare selflessness is. That's how rare caring for others is. I have no one like him, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Look at Timothy. Look how he serves. Look how he loves. Look how he's concerned with others. Be like Timothy. Timothy's living a better story. Live your story. We look at Jesus. Timothy's looking at Jesus. Everyone's looking at Jesus so we can live a better story. So be like Timothy. And then he keeps going. He says, look at Epaphroditus. Look at Epaphroditus. And he draws our, our attention there. And this is a man who would die to serve. He would die to serve. He, 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 was, he was a man worthy of honor. In verse 27, He's talking about Epaphroditus. He says this, Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He says, be like Epaphroditus. Honor these men. Honor people who will lay down their life to serve, who will be obedient even to the point of death. You're like, isn't that about Jesus? Yes, and we reflect Jesus. We're, we're, obedience is, is normal. Sacrifice to serve. That's how we live. Persistence is the purpose. Look at Epaphroditus. And then he goes on. He, he says, look at me. Like a humility, Paul. Okay, uh, look at me. He points to his own story in chapter 3, verse 5. I know we're going quick, but I want you guys to get this. Chapter 3, verse 5. He starts to brag about all the things he could brag about. He's saying, I, I could brag. You want to know something? I could brag. 
I could tell you some stuff, and you'll get a little bit of the list. He says, I was circumcised on, on, on the eighth day of the, um, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, look at my story. I'm the most righteous, most blameless, perfect Jew that ever walked the earth. Except for Jesus. I'm, I'm the best. And I gladly and willingly and would do it time and time again, lay it all down for the sake of Christ. He says, I look at my life and all my accomplishments in comparison to Christ as rubbish. And you're like, weird, I didn't know there was English people in the Bible. The word he actually used would be like um, the cuss word that I won't say here, but he's talking about poop. He's saying, like, my whole life, everything I've accomplished is literally what sits in the toilet bowl. And I'll gladly flush it down the drain for Jesus Christ. It's rubbish. And he goes through this whole thing. He says, look at me. I'm living a better story. You think your story is awesome. I think your story is a bowl full of brown stuff. That's good. My story is about Jesus. My story is better than yours. It's a, really, it's a humble brag, but we'll, we'll let it sit. And, and pre- Paul presses on. Verse 14, he actually says these words. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you only. Let us hold true to what we have attained, brothers. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's saying, look at my story. I'm looking at Jesus' story. You look at Jesus' story. You look at my story. Find other godly men and women. Look at their story. But we're all looking at Jesus. The best story that's ever been told is Jesus. And you can live a better story because you simply know him, because you actually live like you know him, because you actually have the vision that he has, because you're pursuing a story like his story. Be like Jesus. Be like Timothy. Be like Epaphroditus. Be like Paul. And then he's going to address these two women who just can't get along. And like any church, there's quarrels and things, and, and uh, they were fighting over who had the craziest name. And so Eodia, we don't know that, Eodia and Syntyche, and, he, and we don't even know what they're fighting about. I, I joke, but we really don't know what they're fighting about. But it was a big enough quarrel that Epaphroditus thought it was necessary while he's dying in prison to share the story of these two women who can't get along. And Paul thought it was so necessary while Epaphroditus was dying in prison to write a letter to these women in case Epaphroditus actually lives. So whatever the quarrel was, these girls need to get along. 
In verse, chapter 4, verse 2 through 3, it says this. Um, I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So he doesn't share the problem, but he gives a quick solution. So, so we have all these examples, all these names, and it's like, be like Jesus, be like Timothy, be like Epaphroditus, be like Paul. And then he like zooms in. He's like, you two, did you just hear what I wrote? Did you read that? Get along. You know what would help your relationship? If both of you try to compete for selflessness. You know what would help your relationship? If humility was your vision. You know what would make your story better than being two verses in the Bible where all we think is negative thoughts about you? Is if you were others focused and not so focused on yourself. You know what would make your story better? Is if you were clinging to God's word as your anchor and not fighting about your own words. You know what would make your story better? If you fought for joy because joy is contagious. And Syntyche, if you were actually full of joy, Eodia might actually get along with you because she might smile every now and then. And you're like, wow, that's so practical. So many times we read the Bible and we get through this whole letter and it's like, well, I don't even know what to do. And in Philippians, and many people would skip over this, but in Philippians, he's like, real quick, here's how easy this is. You want to live a better story? You want to be like Jesus? Put some of these things in place. It'll even help your relationships at church. It'll even help you get along with your parents. It'll even help you enjoy schooling more, your job more. It'll even help you enjoy going to church more. Your story is getting better. And so many times, and I want to be careful because this isn't a negative thing, but so many times we talk about your heart, we talk about your mind, we talk about your soul, we talk about all these things that are, it's, it's hard to measure. And in his warmest letter, Paul says, look, here's some real practical things you can do. Just stay persistent at it. Let's look at that list again. Remember that love unites us. You can't get along with someone. He points out to them, you guys work side by side. You're both in Jesus. You've worked with me. You've worked with the pastors at your church. Love unites us. Let's, let's focus on the love of Christ. Let's, let's focus on an unconditional love, a sacrificial love, a love that never ends. Let's focus on a love like that. Let's focus on a love that has no contracts. That love one another. How about humility? Is humility your vision? And these are questions I want you to ask yourself as we just have two minutes, and you can write this in. How can I live a better story? Or even better, how can I live a Jesus story? How can I live a story that people see me and go, oh, they're living like Jesus. And that's why their story is so much better than mine. They're living like Jesus. They're living a life where they realize that love unites us. They're living a life where they realize that humility is the vision where, where selflessness is the competition, where obedience is, is normal, and being obedient is actually rebellious, where persistence is the purpose, not perfection, not a world where you're held to a standard and every word you say that's wrong and every time you miss a, a comma or every time you can't figure out which there goes there, you feel crushed, but in a world where persistence is the purpose. We just persist to be more like Jesus. 
in a world where God's word is our anchor and not news and not our teacher and not our, our Wi-Fi and not whatever, but God's word is the anchor. And in a world where joy is contagious, we can live a better story if those things become our thing. If those things become the chapters of our story. And please hear this. I'm not telling you you have to be perfect at this. Persistence is the purpose. But what if you just had seasons where you were working on joy? What if you just had a season, maybe you decide tonight, just pick one or two of these things. Hey, for the rest of September, I'm going to work on, on beating everyone I can at selflessness. I'm, I'm going to spend the next few weeks just persisting, not beating myself up when I fail, but just persisting. Oh, I messed up. Okay, I'll do better next time. For the next few weeks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually read my Bible and try to get anchored to my Bible, learn from my Bible. When, when, when Adam or, or Pastor Gabe say, I can read this book in 15 minutes, I'll, I'll test them. I'll actually try it. How can I live a better story? How can I live a Jesus story? And we get it from God's word, and it's as grand as dying for the sins of the world. It's as grand as Paul being in prison and beaten and enslaved and all these things. It's as grand as uh, Epaphroditus dying just to deliver a gift. And it's as simple as two girls getting along in church. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray right now that as we get ready to depart from here, that we would realize that we are called to live a better story. And the best story we can possibly live is a story that's focused on you. Lord, I pray right now, I don't know if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you, belong to you, they have not confessed their sins to you and and made you Lord of their life, but God, right now, would you draw their attention to their sin? They would see how how they just don't measure up to your story, but they, they would see that you're a God who invites them to live a better story because of you. Lord, help us. Even picking one or two of these things and just doing the best we can is challenging and maybe overwhelming. For those who want to live a grand story, may they look at grand stories like Jesus and Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and run after those things. And for those here who are just struggling with something simple, May they realize that even the most simple things write a better story when they're centered around you. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Have an awesome week. If you want to pray or talk to me or Adam, stay after. We'd love to do it. Mm